Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by being, making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. We get to hear people's stories about how God has intersected their lives. I mean, that's a powerful thing. If you here today or if you are watching online or listening online later and you've experienced God intersecting your life, maybe through someone sharing the gospel with you, maybe through a time of difficulty, um, maybe you haven't experienced God intersecting your life. If you have not, um, maybe you'll see what that looks like when God does intersect your life today. So before we get started, uh, we, we have uh, some wonderful Reach Life uh, folks here today. We've got Wendy and Christine and Zach. And um, if you've ever shared your testimony in any kind of way, you know that's intimidating. If you've ever spoken publicly, you know that's intimidating. These folks are doing both of those things today. And so um, I'm grateful for your bravery for the sake of Jesus, right? Perfect love for Jesus casts out fear, right? So here we are. And also, um, I, I want to give a shout out to Boaz Nysong. He's not just a pretty face on the drums, right? Like he, uh, you'll see these videos he's put together today. These folks have worked really hard on uh, narrowing down decades of story with Jesus into just a few minutes. Boaz has worked really hard in putting these videos together. So can we have a hand for all of those folks today? Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, what you're going to see today is you'll see a video. Uh, we'll start with Wendy today. You'll see a video uh, sort of montage of Wendy's testimony. I'll ask her some questions and some discussion, and then you'll see that pattern repeat. We'll, we'll move on down the line. So you'll see video, and then we'll talk. And I would encourage you, um, have an open heart, have an open mind today. It could be that God would speak to you through what is said and done um, by recounting what he's done. We're, uh, stones that we've stacked to remember the Lord here today. So we'll start with our first video with Wendy. I was born in Spartanburg, South Carolina, but I lived and grew up in Chesney, South Carolina. My mom had me in church my whole life, and so I grew up in church. So when I was eight, we had revival at church, and I realized at that time that even though I knew God lived in my heart and that I was saved, I had never made that decision publicly. And so I went down and professed my faith publicly and asked Jesus to be in my heart, like, officially and there's never been a time in my life where I walked away from Christ now that's definitely not to say that I've made the best decisions my whole life after I graduated high school I met a guy and fell in love and was infatuated but he had issues he was on drugs and I thought I could change him you know naively and my parents told me I shouldn't be with him, so 18-year-old me who knew everything decided the better idea would be to marry him. And so that's what I did. After my son was born, some things happened that make me realize that he wasn't going to change. Not only was he on drugs, but he was abusive. He had pushed me through a wall once, and. Once I had Ethan, I was like, this is not how I'm going to raise a child. And so I knew at that time that 
I had to step away. So when he was two weeks old, I went home to my mama <laughs> and she took me in and took care of us. That's when I went back to school to be a dental hygienist and like started making the steps to be able to really do it on my own. And I honestly felt I would probably be on my own for a very long time, you know, like forever. Because so I thought, who's gonna want to marry me when I have a young child? Wasn't really looking. A friend of mine sent me this thing for a online dating service. She helped me sign up for it. And we sat there and we were doing stuff and within a little bit, someone had messaged me. And that always went really well. We talked really well on the phone and just had a really good conversations and stuff. Then he asked me out. So he drove down to me on a weeknight and my date didn't really talk very much to me. And so I assumed he didn't like me very much. And then, of course, it was an hour drive for him to get back home. And he called and asked me back out again before he even made it back home. So I guess he did like me, and I did like him. Shane and I dated for a little while before I decided to let Ethan meet him. But then when he did, he just fell right into place of just a really good role model. And the longer we dated and started talking, we knew we wanted to get married. And he was like, I love you. Will you marry me and spend the rest of your life with me? And then, of course, I said yes. Then eventually we had the girl child to complete our little set. We did try to get into church and we tried out one church, but some things happened and I realized this really just wasn't the home church for us. And so we were out of church for quite a while, unfortunately. When my daughter was in school, she got really involved with Young Life and met Megan and she came to Reach Life and came home and she was like, Mom, you've got to come, Dad, you've got to come. Y'all really like that church. And so we went and just immediately just felt welcomed. The more we got to know everybody, we were like, hey, why don't we try to help do this or help try to do that? And just got more and more involved. And during the years that we weren't in church, we were probably not very close with God like we should have been. But once we've been back in church at Reach Life, I've seen my husband grow, I've felt myself grow. And as our children now are, my son's 24 and he's married now and has our first little sweet grandbaby who's super yummy. And our daughter's away at college and, you know, we're empty nesting. The village is even kind of more important. Like it would have been nice to have our village while our kids were younger for that support and stuff too. But now having that village and things to do with people and to help encourage others, young parents and the time of life that we've been through. All of that's just always so encouraging. I think the support of your church family is very important. Looking back over my life, I just think about how much God has done for me. And He was faithful and took care of me and gave me the strength to get through the hard times. And I'm so thankful for my, my marriage and my children. And I'm just thankful that He's just always been there and never let me down. Wendy, thank you uh, for sharing your story with, with us. 
uh, it's, a, it's a transparent thing to do. So uh, thank you. Um, you mentioned in there that you made a profession of faith in Jesus at eight years old. Now, some people may um, think, well, you know, that means that you, you didn't have like some really big change in life and that maybe makes your testimony smaller. But I, I would actually disagree. Um, I think it's wonderful when somebody makes a commitment to Jesus at any time in life. Uh, and, and I think if you make a commitment to Jesus um, young in life, it can really change the trajectory of, of your life and save a lot of pain in, in, in lots of ways. Um, I, w- I wonder if you would share with us some reasons that you're grateful, personally, that you made a commitment to Jesus so young, that Jesus entered your life and changed the trajectory of your life at such a young age. And also, uh, maybe you could speak to uh, younger people here today or, or watching online. Why should they consider giving their lives to Jesus right where they are? No, it's not on, I don't think. So I think, there we go, that um, making that decision really young in my life was good because it did surround me with a lot of people who helped instill good values and I think that helped make me make a lot of great decisions in my life. I know that just kind of highlighted one of my not so good decisions, but wouldn't regret it anyway because it gave me my son. Um, but there was drugs in my high school and no one ever offered them to me because I think they just knew that that's not what I was into or something I would be into because I was always surrounding myself with other Christians and I, I do think it helped just make a straighter path, you mm. know, and so I would think that would be good for anybody. Right, yeah, yeah, good, good. You you mentioned um, what, like a bad decision that, that you made, and just because we're in Christ doesn't mean we make perfect decisions. Uh, that, that's certainly true. Um, and you thought, you said you mentioned in the video that you thought you could change your, your boyfriend. Um, there's some dating advice to be had in there if you're paying, if you're paying attention. Um, but uh, you've got some wisdom now on, the, on this side of things, right? Hindsight tends to be 2020, and you can, you can look back. So what counsel would you, I said there's dating advice in that. What counsel would you give single Christians out there in light of sort of your path? We're grateful God brought good fruit out of it, but there were some mistakes that you made. Spare, spare us the pain. What, what advice would you give to us? I feel very unqualified for this. But yeah. Okay. I, <laughs> I mean, I think everyone should always make like a list of the values or the qualities you're looking for in someone. And especially a Christian, finding someone more that's a Christian too, so you can kind of guide each other and encourage each other in that relationship. But... I think asking those hard questions and finding out their values before you're in a relationship, mm-hmm. like before you just jump into something, so that you can really check them out first. Because once you're in a relationship and you love someone, it's much easier to like mm-hmm. ignore the red flags mm-hmm. or make excuses for the red flags. Mm-hmm. And I think I would also encourage people to take their relationship or their potential relationship to someone who loves them, like their mom or their pastor or someone like that, and really talk about things because 
they they want what's best for you, and they're gonna guide you in ways that is only good for you. Mm. Um, if I had listened to my mom, <laughs> <laughs> right. some of my mistakes yeah. wouldn't have happened. You know, sure. you, you kind of yeah. think at the time like they don't know what they're talking about, or yeah. they're too old, or whatever. But they really love you. They've yeah. brought you through everything. So I mean, they're yeah. gonna guide you in ways. So yeah. a friend, a mom, or someone. I just think it's really important to be open and honest and talk about things with them. That's good. God, godly, wise people who love us help us see our blind spots. Is what I'm hearing from you. That, I think that's really good. Um, so, but, but God is gracious, isn't he, Wendy? Uh, despite the mistakes of your past, God sent Shane to you. A godly man who loves you. Uh, Shane's a sinner like the rest of us, don't get me wrong, but, but it's, it's a picture of Jesus because I know, I know that Shane is steady and faithful, and he's there for you. He, he's like, he's a, Shane's a rock, right? He's a, he's a pillar for you. And I, I wondered if um, you might be able to tell us what that's like, um, seeing kind of the difference between a godly man, a man who follows Jesus. Um, I, I think that that could be an encouragement to, to the ladies in here, but also to us husbands, you know, um, Share what that's like from your perspective as the wife to have a husband that's, that, that's sent by God and is steady for you. I, the biggest thing I think of with Shane is like if you think about 1 Corinthians, I think it's 13, where it's love is patient, love is kind. And I know there's a lot more to that than I won't be able to recite. But those two things stand out the most to me, that love is patient, love is kind. Well, that's Shane. Shane is mm. patient, and he needs to be with me. And <laughs> Shane is kind. And just all the attributes that you really should look for for someone. And anyone would be lucky to have someone like him. And that's the main thing. He yeah. just treats yeah. you well. Like, yeah. puts me and the kids above himself always. Yeah. And that's what you, so this is fruit of the Spirit, is it not? Uh, uh, husbands, this speaks to me as a husband as well. If I yield to the Spirit of God's work in my life, I'm going to love my wife better. Yeah, that's good. That's good. You mentioned, uh, one last question, I'll let you, let you off the hook. Uh, you mentioned in there that you wished that you had had sort of the village or like the church tribe uh, around you earlier in life um, and, and to help navigate those sorts of things. And you, you had said that um, before you were connected into a church family like you are with Reach Life, that that um, affected your walk with the Lord personally in a negative way. You don't think maybe it could have been as strong as it, as it would have been. Uh, what encouragement would you give other adults who might not quite get the importance of locking in with a church, sort of locking arms with a church family and doing life that way. Maybe they're watching online um, or they're, they're here today and they don't really feel connected and they're not connected to Reach Life or any other church. We're not the only Bible-believing, gospel-centered church out there. What advice would you give? I mean, church is great because it does help you continue walking with God closely and teach you more about God, teach you more about Jesus, more about the Bible. But it's so much more than that. Um, with Shane and I being empty nesters now and 
a handful of years away from retirement, you know, that could lead to a very um, lonely life, you know, just excluded or secluded um, life. But having a church family and um, older couples in the church like Marvin and Debbie who are, you can watch them love each other and watch them love Jesus can be an encouragement to you and for your marriage and your just your walk. And then I guess hopefully on the flip side, we would be that for the younger people in the church. And then the younger people in the church have babies and kiddos that I get to love on, which adds so much joy to my life and friendships, you know, with other people who are like-minded and Christian to help um, just encourage you and help keep you strong and held accountable and just makes for a much more fulfilled life. I think God has a design that way, right? He's built it to be such. Wendy, thank you for sharing your, your testimony with us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now we'll, uh, we'll turn to Christine. Christine will be in the hot seat. I was born in Boulder, Colorado, and at five years old, I had a really, really sweet relationship with Jesus. I understood what he did for me, and I would cry myself to sleep at night sometimes for the people that didn't know him. I mean, it was just so pure and so sweet. But I was a preacher's kid, and in being a preacher's kid, there's, I think, a lot of expectations put on you. And what I saw in the church was a lot of hypocrisy. And I saw that these people were coming to church and, and being super Christian, but their lives were not matching that. But they were absolutely judging my family for the same things. And I knew that I had my faith, but I didn't feel like I could explore that without judgment. I didn't feel like I could ask questions. I would be like, why does the church do that? You know, where does it say in the Bible, you know, that such and such is wrong? And then in college, I remember opening up to some of my Christian girlfriends and telling them some things that were on my heart. And I was betrayed by that information. They took it and whispered. And that, I think, was one of the biggest turning points for me as I was like, man, I love Jesus, but I do not love his people very much. And it pulled me farther and farther away from the church. But I never lost my faith in Jesus. I'm a theater person. I started theater at a young age, and so I decided that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to pursue that. I went to college for that. And then from there, I went to Los Angeles, of course, because that's where you become famous as an actress. And I thought, that's my ministry. That's where I want to go because those are my people. Like, I get along with a bunch of misfits. And so, Sure, I was a light in the darkness because I had Jesus in my life, but I definitely was not influencing anybody, and I was being more influenced. But um, it felt really empty, and I think alcohol helped numb that. Deep down, I knew that the alcohol was becoming a problem for me because I needed that to numb and I needed that to be the life of the party. But then there was a time where I was like, I think I'm done with LA. I think I need a fresh start. I was able to transfer to Asheville and I thought, oh, okay, I'm gonna break free from the LA scene 
and hopefully find a good community and like the place was gonna fix that for me. But it was, I was still bringing myself, you know, and everything that came with it and I started drinking more and there was so much shame in that because it had a hold on me that I couldn't understand as a smart person how I could let it get to where it was at and then not be able to stop. And I had to make a change and I needed alcohol out of my life. And I was like, I need to do something really big and scary. I need to commit to a whole year of no drinking. Six months in, I was like, okay, I'm starting to feel normal. I'm starting to see the beauty in life again. And I know it was all Jesus. And then I was like, okay, I really need to get to know Jesus. And so I bought the one year Bible, which takes a piece of the Old Testament, piece of the new, a Psalms and a Proverbs. And I was like, I can do that. And so I started seeing the bigger picture. I started seeing how everything in the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus. And I never had made that connection before. And I was just like, this is great. Then halfway through the year, I realized I needed community. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna try this again. I've been passing by Reach Life Church for years. And um, I was like, well, I could you know, dip my toe in and just see how it's you know, how it's gonna go. And I didn't go in with the judgment that I had before. I went in realizing that I was judging as much as I felt judged, you know, I was judging in reverse and realized that no church is perfect because we are not perfect people. And I am grateful for the community that has embraced me and my weirdness. And I have surrendered myself to God's will and his will is for me to be in community. And I'm super grateful for that. And I see that working in my life because I am allowing myself to ask for help. I'm allowing myself to ask questions, you know, and there's a freedom in, in asking questions and not feeling judged. And that feels really good. And I am forever grateful for him not delivering me instantly from my addiction because I know that the struggles I have had give me empathy for those that are going through it now. And I know that that will only help in guiding people that are going through that to God because I can't even imagine having to go through any of that without having God with me. Stuff. Thank you for sharing your story with us, Christine. Um, you talked about hypocrisy in the church, and that's a big deal. That's an important thing. I'm so glad you brought it up. Uh, unfortunately, it's, it's a real problem and a barrier to lots of people with, with Jesus. I have, so I have two questions related to that. First, uh, why do you think that there is such hypocrisy in the church, and what does that say about Jesus himself? Um, and then secondly, what would you say to someone who's currently maybe hurt by the church and has, um, and that church hurt has maybe affected their view of Jesus and uh, the Bible's claims about Jesus. What are your thoughts? Well, first of all, I want to know if you're at all nervous that I have a microphone and anything can come out of my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> I brought notes. That's all good. Yeah. Um, ultimately, there's hypocrisy in the church, which unfortunately is an issue, um, because we are all 
the church is filled with humans. I mean, we are, humans are flawed. We are imperfect. And Christians are held to this non-humid standard because we follow the only one who is perfect, who is not hypocritical. Um, so it is, it's interesting that It's interesting, sorry, I lost my play. I'm so nervous up here. <laughs> this is the st LA stage person, right? Yeah, here she is. <laughs> this is called humility. This is bringing me yeah. to humility. So in the church, okay, I'm, I'm back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the church, um, there's also just church goers, right? There's church goers yeah. that are not Christ-filled. There's also people that are wolves in sheep's clothing that Satan has actually brought into the church to divide us and separate us or try to separate us from God. Um, and Jesus rebukes hypocrisy heavily in the Bible, which ultimately, I believe, reveals his true love for us. So that's the first part of that question. And the second part, I actually have an analogy and bear with me. It's just, this is how my brain works. It's a little strange, but, um, my, so I, I, I had to take my cat to the vet on Friday. I promise this is going to work. Um, and, <laughs> and he had this wound on his back and it was open and it was painful and he didn't want me to touch it. And, but I was able to get him into a carrier and bring him to the vet where ultimately they were going to poke and prod and probably create more pain. And what he could have done is blame me for bringing him there, right? I brought him to that, to that place where it's scary and it, it could be painful. And, and he could have run out of the carrier as soon as it was opened and not gotten any treatment for his wound. But instead, what he did is he came out of the carrier and he just snuggled in and pressed close into me. And he tucked his little head, you know, and, and just like got in there and just, he was shaking and scared, but he kept pressing into me. And I was like, oh, that is so sweet. And, and I just thought, there is a lesson in here for me. And, and I thought, I could blame God. I could blame him for my pain that I've had in the church. I could lash out at him. I could run from him and never get the healing that I needed for that wound. Or I could press into him. I could let him draw me near to him, you know? And that, and I could trust that God is good and that that temporary pain that I may have from reopening that wound and cleaning it out and, you know, from being in where I got the pain in the first place, that there will be true healing. So I would encourage anyone that feels this way or that might, might feel this way to not let the failings of one person or one church or multiple churches keep you from the pure love and the, on, the healing that I think that you can only get through Jesus. That's good. Yeah, that's See, it good. worked, right? Yeah, it came around. It came around, <laughs> I can tell you. Yeah, that's really good. Um, you know, we try to live lives um, that honor Jesus, but we want to be sure to point people to Jesus, not to ourselves. That's good. Yeah. That's really good. Uh, you mentioned that when you moved to L.A., you're hoping it, that it would be a ministry, right, but that you found yourself being influenced more than you were 
influencing? And so, I, again, I have a two-part question. <laughs> uh, two questions about it. First, how can we discern uh, maybe timing and the way we can enter into the darkness as salt and light, right? Um, but not, uh, but at the same time, protect ourselves from succumbing to the darkness. Uh, so that's that's part part one. The second part is what are some practical steps that we can take to actually be salt and light in the world um, without becoming like the world? So how do we protect ourselves defensively? And then how can we do some things on offense for the sake of the gospel? You have tough questions, preach. Um, why? I think her, her questions were easier than my questions. So. <laughs> so one one of those is ministry, right? And then the other is just making sure that you're not putting yourself in a position that is so tempting that you're likely to fail. Mm. And for me, going to Hollywood, I was just really, really naive. I mean, ministry was not my number one goal. Let's just be real about mm -hmm. that. You know, I wanted to be a star. I wanted to go and be a star, and it was very self-centered. Mm -hmm. I think um, it, it was a, a nice thought that I was going to be a light in the darkness, but the reality was I, God wasn't at the center of my life. I was. You know, so I would suggest for people that are looking to be the light in darkness, that they arm themselves with the word of God, that they fill themselves with the knowledge of God and be strong in your conviction and in your faith and surround yourself with people, with your tribe that can be there to support you and guide you and counsel you and most importantly be accountable or hold you accountable mm -hmm. and be the light and then go into the darkness as long as you have all of that support mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. um, I think the practical steps for that is to just get involved in the city I mean there is so much happening in the city this city in particular I know most cities have but this city just has so much going on all the time there's events all the time there's plenty of places to volunteer um, and then you know get in dig in and build relationships with people that you meet you know and then bring your tribe in and serve and see where the need is and and serve where that need is and make sure that you're doing it with kindness and that you're showing God's love through all of that that's good. Okay, so I got some takeaway words from there. Uh, honesty with yourself <laughs> yeah. about your own motives and your readiness and that sort of thing. Humility, yeah. Yeah. which is required there. And then seek wisdom, obviously in the Word of God, but in the people of God as well. Right. And then move out together with the people of God, not as a lone wolf. That's good. Good stuff. Um, you said that in moving to Asheville, you thought sort of the change of location would fix you. Right, but uh, everywhere we go, there we are. Right, that you you brought yourself and your own stuff to the new location with you, um, yeah. and you thought like as a, as a smart person, how could I let my drinking get to the place where? Well, there's some common threads in there that I think we all face. We yeah. think that uh, man, if I just change my environment or change this up, it'll fix me, and uh, I've got this sort of mentality. Uh, again, there's a lack of humility in, yeah. in, in there. So what would you say to someone today who might be tempted to, to think those things, like sort of the I've got this, or if I change my circumstance, that will change 
me. Uh, and in there, if you could, talk about how then your reality of turning to Jesus, uh, com- you know, on the, on the opposite side of the coin to that, has made the opportunity for, like, lasting change. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? Well, I think in some circumstances, it is good to change your environment if your environment is toxic, Yes. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, my identity was wrapped up in being this fun adventure girl. And it was, you know, social drinking. And I had been social drinking for so long that I didn't think that I could have fun without it. Mm-hmm. And I believed that I wasn't fun. I mean, that's how much Satan had his grip on me at that time. And so I thought if I got away from my social environment, then, then I could have a fresh start. But moving here, obviously, brought new social environment and new fun and new opportunities to be social and drinking. And because I didn't think that I could be social or be fun without drinking, then it all came, you know, there was just more of it. But the social drinking turned to solo drinking, turned to medication and numbing. So I didn't have to think about how, like who I have become and how far I had come from, you know, I was very separated from God in that. And, but I still felt that Jesus was calling. He was always calling me and I just wasn't dealing with the root of the issue. Um, But it came to a point that I knew I needed to do something about it. But I mistakenly thought that because God gave me strength, he made me a strong woman, you know, and independent, and I got this, that um, I could power through on my own. And I would stop for periods of time, you know, and so that's why I thought I could do it, but it really gave me a false sense of control. And then let's say I went for 30 days and then day 31, I would be binge drinking again. I'd be like, but see, I don't, I'm, I don't have a problem because I can't quit. Yeah. I just don't want to, okay. you know? Um, but <laughs> it got really bad. Like I, I had many failed attempts um, and it took a few years, right? And I finally just was at such a low point during COVID really because um, there was a lot involved in that. I think a lot of people struggled during COVID mentally. Um, I finally surrendered, and I just said, God, I don't got this. I can't do this on my own. And I was humbled, and I was broken, and I finally just needed to put him first and just listen. And he said, I need to build my tribe. You call it your village, I call it my tribe. And thankfully, my family, they're all followers of Christ. And I turned to them, and I opened up about my issues, and I asked them to pray for me and support me. And there was so much freedom in that. Um, And it made me very humble because admitting something like that, you know, when you're so independent is, is really hard. That's good. But um, I did that, and then, you know, it was hard to kind of build my tribe outside of that because I was surrounded by so many non-believers. But I surrendered, surrendered to God. I asked for prayer, and every day I prayed, and, and 
sometimes every hour, every minute, I would surrender if I, you know, was feeling tempted or whatever. And I filled my, I, I started treating my body as a temple. I filled my ears with worship music. I filled my brain and body with supplements from the earth. And I filled my heart with word, his word and spirit-filled books and the one-year Bible, which I can't recommend enough. And little by little, it got easier. Every day, I got a little bit easier, and I would and I would still have minor setbacks, and I still have over the last couple of years. But I think that just brent, that was when I was starting to feel like I've got this again, yeah. and became humbled. And and so I think that those moments I'm still grateful for. But I'm I just turned back to God, and I'm like, no, you are giving me strength, but it's your strength. It's not my strength. You are my strength. You are working through me. And when I surrender that it's it's not me, and yes, I'm smart, because I would get so mad at myself. Why can't I stop this on my own, you know? Um, when I realized that it, it, wasn't, it wasn't me, it was God's strength, and I surrendered, that was the only time that I started getting healing. I want, that's good. I want to latch on to that. Uh, there's a recurring theme in your testimony. Christine, this is uh, humility, sometimes the lack of, and, and when you humble yourself, then yeah. God brings freedom to you. I want to I ask one thing, and Zach, get ready, because you're about to be on the hot seat too, brother. Um, you said something I thought was profound in your testimony. You said that the time you're looking to get back into the church community, you realized that you had been judging the church community like you had been judged by the church community. Yeah. Um, I would say both of those things are a problem. Right, We can be really judgy people as the church. Um, but I think also, I've been outside the church as well. I did the same thing. I judged the church uh, from, without, from without. So um, can you talk uh, more about sort of the need for gospel-centered humility that's needed on both sides of that? Oh, the self-righteousness. Somehow I thought I knew better than everybody in every church across yeah. the entire country. Yeah. Um, as a side note, did you know that the word hypocrite is derived from the Greek word actor? Yeah. I find that very comical. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's me right yeah, here. Yeah. Um, I'm sure most of you know the verse. Uh, Jesus said, why do you look at a speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Well, that hit hard for me, and um, when I was in this humbled, humbled state and I was trying to expand my tribe, um, God called me to be in a church community, which was scary because I hadn't been in church for a long time, um, and he made it easy for me because there was one just two blocks away at the time. It's our old location. Old location, right. two blocks away. And it's the one that I had passed by every time I would go get my boxed wine because I'm classy like that. <laughs> and I realized um, when I was judging people, it filled me with humility and compassion for other people that were broken in the church. And I just realized that everybody is broken in some yes. way. And that's that everybody needs Jesus, you know, because we are all broken. It reminded me that not, I mean, there are only some professing Christians that are acting hypocritically, but there are so many that are consistently living out the love of Christ in this world. Mm -hmm. And just having that reminder 
and that I needed to trust him and press in, you know, and just, well, I mean, some of my wounds might be opened back up, but they'll, you know, to be cleaned out for healing, that I just needed to trust that that temporary pain that I might feel was going to create healing. That's good. I like that phrase um, because it reminds me that, you know, hospitals are for sick people. Mm. Here we are, right? We're all, we're all together and we all have Jesus. Yeah. He's the healer. Thank you for sharing your testimony with yeah. us, Christine. I do want to say that um, the church does also need to be reminded of this, yes. you know, to have mm-hmm. compassion for those that are angry or struggling no or questioning, you know, um, instead of judging or shaming or making someone feel guilty for questioning their faith. You know, I think it's, it's very important that the church be reminded of that and just meet people where they are in their walk. Agreed. That's good. Just stuff. like Jesus does. Yeah. 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 That's good stuff. Hey, are these two uh, testimonies helpful so far? Man, it's so good. Yeah. Okay, we get to turn to Zach Mahaffey. Let's hear from Zach. Growing up, my life was very atypical, but in the moment I never really knew that. I always thought that I was very normal. And so whenever I was seven years old, I went to a Christian summer camp called Camp Living Water and I heard the gospel for the very first time. And I gave my life to Jesus. The problem for me, though, was coming back from camp, my mom and dad weren't practicing Christians. So if I wasn't at camp or I wasn't with my grandparents, then my walk always drifted. Right whenever high school started, I was working on staff at Camp Living Water now. But then as soon as I would come back from being on staff at camp, I really started to not trust the Bible as much. It started out as legit questioning that devolved into just unadulterated sin. I was in in the partying scene and I was doing drugs and drinking every day. I mean, I didn't see any value in myself and I kind of just wanted to be numb to that. After I graduated high school, I uh, probably overdosed but I don't know because nobody else was around me I was by myself and so I ended up passing out and whenever I passed out I fell over onto the hookah and my shirt caught on fire and I thought that I was dying I mean I didn't I didn't think that there was any time left and so I called out to Jesus because I thought if anybody could save me in that moment that that would be him and that was the only hope that I had had a personal encounter with Jesus that night and the only reason that I'm alive today is because of him intervening and the next morning whenever I woke up and I didn't die I just laid out where I was at in life to God I laid out how I felt like I was wrong and how I didn't want my life to keep going like this and it wasn't an hour later that I got a call from the director of Camp Living Water asking me to come out and help in the kitchen For the first time in my life, whenever I got to camp this time, I was eager to actually understand what the Bible was about. And I started reading the Gospel of John and actually soaking it in for the first time and taking notes. And I just felt this sense of joy, like this sense of, okay, I'm I'm actually starting to understand what this is 
about. Jesus is God. He came in the flesh to take on sin, to make us right with himself. Like, that's so good. And now that I was reading through John and just getting light out of it, and I was surrounded by all these other Christians, my faith really grew, but it was almost uh, kind of a fall slowing up of sorts that, that got tested because I ended up going back home and moving back in with my parents. I believe during that time I got an even better understanding of the gospel because as soon as I went back to the real world, I realized, oh man, I'm, I'm going to need some grace for myself. The Lord really transformed my heart in, in those moments. and. Uh, really showed me what it's like to need the gospel and to need to be refreshed. During the period of time that I was living at my parents' house, I was developing my relationship with my future wife, Mary Beth, who I'd actually met working at camp. So that was what the next season of life ended up being. And the Lord just lined up everything so perfectly. That was just one of the huge blessings that I got out of being faithful to the Lord through that time of testing and trial. I feel like the biggest blessing that I got out of that was being able to take my bride and marry her. After me and Mary Beth got married, Mary Beth found out that she was pregnant with our first daughter. And so we got to welcome in a, a beautiful baby girl and my family started to grow. In my heart of hearts, that's really all that I ever wanted. And so for me, as a father, whenever I'm thinking about, you know, the life that I want to lead and set the example for for my kids, I just want to show them that Jesus is real and that he's worth being real with. There's no point in ever having this mask and knowing the right things to say, and I want this to be something that's real for even my kids now. And the only way I can make that happen is if it's real for me and they see that. What Jesus did for me, the gospel, it allows me to live my life freely. I like to put things on my own plate and I like to worry about things I don't have to, but man, whenever I realize the truth of the gospel, then that just allows me to step into this freedom to where I can accomplish whatever it is God has for me and whatever he's put on my plate. And that's just what I continually have seen time and time again in my life. It's you go through these times of trials where you, know, you have to rely on God. Your, your faith gets tested. He says, hey, are you gonna choose me or are you gonna do your own thing? And if you just come back to him, if you say, I, I can't do this, I, I need you, Lord, I, I need you to do this. If you have faith in him, he always comes through in ways that are better than what you could have ever done. Thanks for sharing with us, Zach. Um, and you said uh, in there that you had heard the gospel and was saved at age seven, but that your parents weren't practicing Christians. So you would go to camp and be like on the mountaintop feeling good. But then when camp wasn't uh, going on, you were back in your regular environment and you would tend to, to drift. And there was this like up and down. So um, can you talk a little bit uh, about this up and down, hot and cold that kind of happens in the Christian life and how do we protect ourselves from that sort of thing? Yeah, so the, uh, I think the hot and cold aspect, especially with what I was dealing with, kind of evolved around what a lot of people deal with, which is, you know, our circumstances kind of will fuel our own thoughts a lot of times, like wherever you find yourself at in life. And so the way that I would connect that is I decided whatever circumstance I was in was kind of how God felt about me. So if I was having a good day, I was, you know, really doing everything was going right. It was like, okay, well, God's happy. God's here. I'm, I'm a pie. And then it's like, well, as soon as something bad happens or, you know, as soon as I, I, I kind of slip or fall, well, then I'm at the bottom. God, God's totally displeased with me. I'm not even really walking with him. And so as a child who 
has a very limited understanding of the gospel, that would just hit really hard up and down. And that's kind of what I dealt with throughout my whole childhood. You know, this just constant, God's happy with me, I'm doing what's right. And then, nope, never mind, God's not happy with me, I'm not doing what's right. And so as I got closer to, you know, uh, adulthood and becoming a teenager and really started fleshing out these thoughts, it was like, wow, if that's how God actually is, I don't want to be a part of that, right? And so I think the only way to really protect ourselves from this growing cold, this constant up and down, is to, to get into the scriptures and see who God really is, right? Because he doesn't respond to our circumstances like we think he does. He's not sitting up there with his arms crossed waiting for us to mess up so that he can point it out to us, but you know, he's our loving father. That's, that's the role he takes in our lives. And when we realize that, we can walk in that. That's good. There's objectivity in scripture, right? I've got thousands of years of history of the Lord's uh, personality, so to speak. Yeah. That's good. That's really good. Um, you said you had kind of, uh, you know, you were doing life your own way. Then there was like this, um, this desperation where you called out to Jesus and he entered your life. And that, that's beautiful, right? It's a picture of the gospel. Um, we tend to listen more when we're in crisis, don't we? <laughs> At least I do. Um, but the truth is not everyone has experienced sort of an existential crisis like that. What would you say to the people who haven't gone through that sort of difficulty? You know, I, and this is something that you know, I struggled with, especially, again, working at the summer camp growing up as a, as a child, was I, I never really understood what it was that I had done wrong to need to be saved from. So whenever people talked about Jesus' salvation and this need to be saved, it was a lot of times whenever I laid out what I considered my life at that point, I was like, well, I, I haven't ever murdered anybody. You know, I've, right. I've lied, but is a lie really that a good bad? Person. Is, yeah. yeah, and so uh, for the this idea that, um, you know, we you don't have to go through an existential crisis to, to call out to Jesus, but uh, for me, I made it through, right? I come to this really desperate point in life where I didn't know if I was going to live or not, and God gracefully brought me through that. Mm. I still have consequences from the decisions that I was making in that time of my life, though, that I deal with today. And so for someone who's not went that far, who's not at this extreme place in life, it's if you're on the fence about Jesus, man, choose him, because there, there's no telling what you're going to go through. There's no guarantee that you're going to make it out on the other side. And then there's, you know, you have no idea what the consequences of those actions are going to be in your real life afterwards. That's good. It's kind of like we talked about with Wendy, like Jesus will change the trajectory of your life. Yeah, yeah that's good. That's good. Um, you said that, uh, this was interesting to me, that you said that you had a crisis of faith, um, that um, at first you had like, legit questions. I needed to know some things and find some answers, but then that kind of transitioned into, yeah, I'm just choosing to believe these things because I'm, I'm sinning, like I, and I like it. I, I like my sin, and I, I think that's a commonality uh, that happens a lot of times. Um, why, do you, why do you think that is? Why did that happen in your life, and why do you think that's a kind of a common thread in lots of our lives if we're honest with ourselves? What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? You know, I think whether we realize it or not, um, the majority of people have this moral fiber weaved into them because of their ideas of God, right? And even in our culture that we grow up in in America, like, God has kind of set this moral authority that America was developed under and kind of grew in. So right and wrong is uh, set by God alone. In my own transition, though, and I feel like a lot of people do this, they try to take God out of the picture, 
And so as I'm questioning these things about God, as I'm, as I'm having these legit questions, God is slowly being removed from my thought process and the mm. way that I'm doing things. Mm. So then unadulterated sin becomes way less of a shameful thing for me to partake in, right? It's not me that's in the wrong for doing these things. It's all these other people that think I'm in the wrong that are actually wrong. Yeah. And it's, uh, I think it just continually will devolve into that until there is a, a point of, wait a minute, no, I am actually wrong. I, I shouldn't be doing these things. But I know, I know for me, it was really just a, a, a shifting of my thought process totally, right? I was uh, removing out all of the things that were of, of God and that were about God because I didn't want to live by that standard. It's easy to justify our sin if we're not accountable to anyone, yeah. is it? Yeah. Yeah. Become our own gods, so to speak. Yeah, that's good. Last one. I'll let you off the hook, man. You said that uh, Jesus not only saved you, but he set you on a path. We've talked about this, a different trajectory that you would not have been on otherwise. I wanted to, wanted to quote you. Um, you had talked about moving from like self-destructive behavior to kind of a life of purpose and meaning. You said God always came through in ways that are better than what you could have done. So, so what has that taught you now? Seeing that God does that, how does that change your perspective on life and kind of shape your life today? Uh, so just through my own experience with seeing that play out in my life, it's uh, set this foundation for the way that I try to structure out and live each day. And so uh, days that I wake up and I'm focused on the Lord and what he's done for me and who I am in him and what he wants for me to accomplish, those are days that I have purpose, right? I wake up and I can go step into life and I can be a father to my children and a husband to my wife and I can go into work and just serve the people around me and, and really show other people this Christ-like love that I've experienced. At the same time, if I don't structure my life out like that, right, on the days that I'm not really focused on who Jesus is and what he's done in my life, there's almost like this uh, void that gets created and then I start to feel this sense of pur purposelessness. So I don't really have any purpose. And that's where you know uh, Satan will come in and he'll try to start to deceive me. He'll start to sway my thoughts. I'll start to create division in, inside of my relationships with those that I'm closest with. And it, it really has to be this consistent setting of my mind, setting of my thoughts. You know, each day I have to choose to walk with Jesus. I have to choose to want Him. Uh, he's always wanting me, right? He always wants me to come to him, but I have to be the one to take that step and actually walk with him to be able to experience the life that he has for me. That's good. Yeah, I always uh, call it uh, preaching the gospel to myself. I have to remind myself all the time. Hey, listen, is Jesus worthy of our praise? He really is. Thank you guys for pointing us to Jesus today. You guys have stepped down. Thanks so much.